We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Who was your guy? When you were a pitcher, who was that veteran that you looked up to that you were bothering with questions and trying to soak up the knowledge? Great you asked that because I think you know the answer in his name was everybody's legend, it's Greg Maddox. And I was lockered next to him in 2000 spring training, probably because I was going to be the first guy sent out to minor league camp. But I had the opportunity to pitch well. I learned from him. I roomed with him. He invited me to stay with him for a few months during the first couple months of the season. And all I did was pick his brain. So he's the guy. He's everybody's guy. He's, he's so much to learn from. The premier baseball show in Chicago. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel. That's a great poll from our producer, Sean Anderson. Sean, S-E-A-N, Anderson, setting up another Sean, S-E-A-N. Because that voice you heard with our Zach Zaidman on the Cubs Radio Network was Sean Marshall from Thursday night's Cubs game against the Dodgers talking about Greg Maddox. What a lovely opportunity and fine time on a Sunday morning to get a chance to welcome in Sean Marshall, who joins us on the Scores Hotline, which is presented by Alpamonte Ford. Alpamonte Ford in Melrose Park on North Avenue or at apford.com. Hello, Sean Marshall. Good morning. How are you? Well, good morning, Speaks. Thanks for having me, buddy. Absolutely. Big smooth? Are we big smooth these days? What does Cole Wright, what does Cole Wright call you these days? He's got a couple of nicknames for me. Uh, lovable lefty, lanky lefty. He hasn't called me Big Smooth yet, but Mick Gillespie, who I'm, I'm co-broadcasting the marquee game today with, kind of reminded me of that nickname a couple of weeks ago, and I just got a kick out of it because I kind of like that one the most. <laughs> yeah, sure you do. Who wouldn't? You're big, and, right? and and I thought the delivery was pretty smooth, you know, for you yeah. in your life. I, I enjoyed watching you pitch. Right, but let, let's go right to that cut, Sean Marshall, um, from the Marquee Sports Network. You'll see him doing pre and post with, uh, with Cole Wright all year long, and as he mentioned, doing the game today with Mick Gillespie. Um, what what specifically do you ask Greg Maddox as you're hanging around a hotel room in your younger uh, baseball days? What kind of things can you guys talk about away from the clubhouse, away from the field that have stuck with you or stuck with you during your career anyway? Well, it was it was so outstanding for me to be a teammate with him and everybody that ever played with Greg Maddox. All you had to do was ask him questions, and he had the answers, obviously with all the experience gold gloves, Cy Youngs, and just pitching for so many years. He accumulated so much wealth of knowledge. So it, even in my debut, it was, you know, man on first base, 3-2 count, two outs. And I, I gave up the home run to Scott Rowland on this pitch, and it was a, I threw a fastball, pretty much middle cut, and he hooked it, and it, it went right around the foul pole left field for a home run. And I came in after that inning, and he said, what are you thinking about there? And I said, uh, thinking about throwing a strike there, he said, think about what you kind of – maybe you threw 2-2, two, two, you threw off-speed pitch 2-2. Two, two. Maybe you throw that pitch again 3-2 next time. What would you have thrown? I said, I probably would have thrown a changeup. And he said, there you go. So just a lot of pitch selection stuff. And it, pitchers learned from Greg Maddox because he didn't have the plus – early in his career, he was in the low to mid-90s. 
and had the cutters and the change-ups, obviously the outstanding change-up and breaking balls. But later in his career, when I played with him, he was, you know, 88 miles an hour, 86 to 88. And so you learn from a pitcher like him and Hendricks and Zach Davies, these guys, that you don't have to have plus velocity to get guys out. And so pitch selection was huge with him. Obviously pitch execution, which I talk about all the time, on the pre- and post-game show. That's the biggest thing as a pitcher. Whether you throw 98 or you throw 88, it, you have to make a good pitch. You have to execute the pitch, and you have to throw it with your heart. And that was the big thing that Larry Rothschild, our pitching coach at the time, was throw it with conviction. And that stuck with me my whole career. Throwing the ball with conviction is throwing the ball with total focus in your mind and throwing the ball with your heart because you have that slight hesitancy and throwing a pitch, and it, you just don't make the pitch. And when you don't make the pitch, it gets hard. It gets hit hard in the big leagues. Wow, that's really interesting. So, what what does it mean? So, with heart and with conviction. So, I, I, so it, will that if you approach it like that, did that end up helping your location, or just a little, maybe a little extra zip on it, or yes. just that kind of stuff? I think all of the above. Location, which is execution in a nutshell, and yeah. just throwing the ball with intent. If, when you begin to doubt yourself and you put that little bit of hesitancy in your mind, you just don't make the best pitch. And, but if you fully commit, whether you think it's the right pitch or maybe it isn't, maybe the situation doesn't dictate for you to throw that pitch, but if you throw it with your heart, you've got a chance of making that pitch. And I, I, I teach that to all the young kids that I coach up here on the North Shore, and it's just like you might not have the best stuff, but if you make pitches, you can get Albert Pujols out. You can get the big hitters in the league out. So that's, that's kind of the, the message I like to relay to the young pitchers I coach and that I, that I want to talk about stuff on uh, Marquee Sports Network. Hey, Sean, I'm really looking forward to watching Zach Davies closely this year. And um, my showmates during the week laugh at me when I talk about that, but they're, they're idiots. Um, but, you know, he, so here's the thing. I want to know what makes him different than Kyle Hendricks, not what makes him the same. We know what makes them the same, and we've seen that with the repertoire. But do you have any? Do you have any? Um, have you gleaned anything yet on like the way that Zach Davies approaches hitters that might be a little different than Kyle Hendricks because they're they're awfully similar in terms of stuff and 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 sequence. But maybe there's something that I don't see yet that I'll get a chance to see. You know what? They both have outstanding change-ups. And last year, Zach Davies threw his change-up like almost 40% of the time. And just that, the ability to make pitches, and whether you're throwing a change-up in a 3-2 count or, you know, you got these guys can throw every pitch in every count. His cutter has really stood out to me as well, kind of mm -hmm. boring in on those lefties and, and diving down away from the righties. But he's, he's been on a roll, and I, I can see the confidence in Zach Davies' eyes, and, in, and he's in another, a fresh uniform again this year. And he was traded for you, Darvis, so he, he's probably got a little chip on his shoulder like, hey, I'm a good pitcher, and he's been a good pitcher for several years now, in my opinion, and I like him a lot, and I'm looking forward to, to seeing him pitch and, and carve up opponent, lineup, opponent lineups. But it's been fun, but very, a lot of similarities – not big, not very big guys, Kyle Hendricks and Zach Davies, but they can really pitch. They're very smart. They have a great game plan, and he's had a really outstanding spring so far. And then tell us about Adbert Alzali. You got a chance to watch Thursday night, and that seemed to be a start that was a game changer, perhaps for his 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 opening day fate. Now slotted in as the five. No doubt, he the plus stuff. I mean, he showed that he can 
navigate a World Series lineup full of MVPs. He punched out Mookie Betts. Bellinger, he had electric life on his fastball. He's been working extra on on that put-away slider. In that that game the other day, he was able to just throw that slider up early in the count and put away the hitters late in the count. You know, he offers a different look from some of the other pitchers we just talked about with Hendricks, Davies, and maybe Alec Mills get some starts. There's not a whole lot of velocity. And what's going to happen is with with pitchers that don't have the velocity, they're going to rely on the Cubs' excellent defense. But Alzali has the the swing and miss stuff uh, in the rotation. I think with his outing the other day and the confidence he shows and his great work ethic and the way he wants it. We always say, hey, you got to want it, you know. And he, you could tell that he really wanted the job, and he pitched his tail off in that outing the other day and also pitched really well in a sim game, Cubs versus Cubs, six days prior. And I think he really ironed out some mechanical stuff that he brought into that game, and he looked really, really outstanding. Oh, there you go. So go back one more start to that sim game, and that probably gave Ross some confidence, and then you end up seeing what you saw on Thursday night. Talking to Sean Marshall from Marquee Sports Network. All right, so Alzali added the slider. Shelby Miller added the slider. Looked good um, for a while. Threw three innings yesterday after being officially sent down, but then still pitched and threw three innings. I think we'll see Shelby Miller in a, in a deep starting rotation um, that they're going to need anyway um, early on, maybe yep. even as, as soon as April is the gut. But, but everybody's kind of, if you got a pitch lab, you're usually looking these days to add a slider or some other kind of 12 to 6 breaking ball, right? I mean, this, this is what they're looking to do. What would they have done with you, Marshall, if you were in the pitch lab and they're using Rapsodo and Edgertronic and they're checking out your stuff and measuring you with biomechanics? What do you think they would have asked you to do or to add to your arsenal if it was possible? You know, that's a good question. And the technology in our game, as I left our game, my last year really pitching healthy was 2013 or so. But the game has changed a remarkable amount. Uh, with analytics and, and then this type of data and this type of breakdowns with the slow motion, the edgertronic camera, which shows the, the release points in super slow motion. You can see the seams roll over the baseball. But hmm. I imagine um, if I was back in the pitch lab, I might do some, some more things to get a little more sync on my fastball. That was, that was a pitch that I really enjoyed throwing, especially inside to left-handed batters, where I could get that arm side run, which would set up my, my slider and curveball away to the lefties. But, you know, I didn't have consistent uh, control of that pitch. Sometimes it would run more. Sometimes it would stay flat. So with the technology in the game these days, I think that I probably could have enhanced that pitch a little bit more. My curveball was always my bread and butter. Maybe there's a couple, maybe some finger placement things that I could have done to maybe manipulate it a little bit more, get a little bit uh, more consistent break. But I, I could sweep it. I could, I could, go 12-6, drop it straight down. And then that made my fastball, my four-seamer, a little bit better. But the technology in the game is fascinating. I enjoy uh, learning about it. It's ever-evolving. And they've, they've had a lot of success changing some guys so far in spring training, some mechanical adjustments with Jake Arrieta. Trevor Williams comes over. The bite on his slider looks really good so far this spring. So it's pretty fascinating. And Hadavi, Borzello, Craig Breslow, they do a really good job of relaying information 
and making these adjustments. And it's, it's, it's important to do it here in spring training. Yeah, it, 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 they really do. And, and the Pitch Lab has done really good things. It, it's, it's so interesting that like the, the history for the organization in terms of pitcher development at the minor league level has not been great um, for Theo and Jed's regime. But at the big league level, they seem to keep finding guys and tweaking them and help get the most out of them. Um, tell me about Trevor Williams, who put up great stats a couple years ago and then was absolutely brutal last year. What's, what's different about him? from this spring as far as you can tell you know and he talked about in the interview about an oblique injury and i've been there i've, I've had an oblique and it's, it's not a fun injury and you kind of can compensate your delivery as a pitcher you have to have flow you have to have good timing in your release point and i think after that oblique injury a few years ago he was tentative to, to press the accelerator and test that oblique so what happened then is he wasn't making pitches, and he wasn't trusting his stuff, and maybe he was getting some arm side run, which runs the ball back up in the middle of the plate to some of these righties. And he got hit for a lot of damage. And in 2019, he had a 5.38 ERA. 2020, a 6.18 ERA. But you look back to his 2018 stats, he was 14-10 and 10 with a 3.1, and he started every start that season for the Pittsburgh Pirates. So they're looking to regain that form. But so far in spring, just the confidence – uh, his delivery looks and see he's he's more herky jerky than a, a Zach Davies or a Kyle Hendricks, hmm. but I think that little extra uh, deception just makes him nasty. The arm side run on his sinker makes his, his slider look even better. Uh, but he's pitching with a lot of confidence too. So I'm very optimistic that this Cubs starting rotation is going to really compete. They're going to keep the ball on the ground. They're going to get punch outs when they need it. But I'm, I'm optimistic for a good season from these guys. Yeah, I've been saying I think they're going to be sneaky decent, this, 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 yes. Cubs, this Cubs rotation, because a lot of people don't think they're going to be good, but sneaky decent. Um, and then Arietta is the one, the one we haven't talked about. We don't need to talk about Hendricks. We know exactly what he is, which is a really fun place to be, actually. But um, Arietta, it, it seems to me, could benefit from the fact that Hendricks is the one that that's the archetypal approach um, that everybody is sort of following, full belief in the infrastructure and really execute and mix it up. And, and you know, because this is the phase that Arietta needs to be in at this point since he's not just a dominant stuff guy or can't survive just on that alone anymore. Yeah, he's, gonna, he's not going to have his 2015 and 2016 stuff. He was hurt in Philly. I mean, he had the knee injury in 18. He had some bone spurs in his pitching elbow in 19, and the hamstring kind of landed on the DL in mid-September last year. So just like with Trevor Williams, when you're injured, you're compensating. And he did not have good numbers in a Philadelphia Philly uniform, but he had really good numbers as a Chicago Cub. He's one of the best pitchers really in Cubs history. But as soon as he was signed – I called Brian Price, who was my pitching coach with the Cincinnati Reds, and it was Jake Arrieta's pitching coach with the Phillies last year. And I said, hey, man, what, what can we expect from Jake Arrieta? He said, hey, he had some mechanical issues last year. He was dropping down his delivery. He was becoming rotational, and he was yanking pitches. But when he's in the zone with the sinker, the cutter, the changeup, he is tough to beat. Yeah, he doesn't have the swing and miss stuff that he had four years ago or so. But he told me that he's still got a lot left in the tank. And we all know Jake's work ethic. This guy rarely wears a shirt that has sleeves on. This guy's joke. He's a joke yoked. You know, he's so strong. And he takes, <laughs> he takes such good care of his body. that And, and he's back in a, a familiar circumstance with Tommy Hottavy, who was, you know, 
the run prevention coordinator back when he was getting everybody out. So it's just a really good fit. And I'm so happy that, that Jed Hoyer and the new regime went and picked him up because I think he's going to compete. He'll throw game two of the season and he's going to, he's going to do just fine this year. Um, Sean, uh, texters are enjoying the commentary, enjoying some of the nitty gritty of pitching that we're getting here, but they need a, a definition of arm side run to really help uh, understand yeah. the comments. So, so ed- ed- educate the masses, if you would. Arm side run. So you got your glove arm. For me, I'm a lefty. I throw the ball with my left hand. Obviously, my glove arm would be my right hand. When you get arm side run, you get on top of the baseball and the ball. For me, a lefty would run to the left or sink to the left. So getting the arm side run as a righty, it bores the ball into the right-handed hitter. So, you know, there's sink, there's drop, but run is almost like horizontal movement, running that ball into a right. So your righty runs into the righty, lefty runs into the lefty. Hmm. So think about those, those Greg Maddox two-seam fastballs that yes. would start, start outside and then run over the plate for a called strike three, and he's halfway uh, off the field by the time the umpire reaches out yep. and calls the strike. Right, and I couldn't. I couldn't do that pitch. For me, that's that's a glove side starting the ball off the plate away to a lefty and running it back. Crazy. But what I did in my career is I threw a backdoor slider. And what happened in backdoor slider is starts away from the plate and kind of backs up onto the outside corner. So for a righty batter, with me pitching lefty, I throw it in the lefty batter's box and it comes back on the outside corner for a strike. I couldn't throw that comebacker that Greg does and Davies does. You see it a little bit with Arietta as well. That's a really tough pitch to throw, um, but it's fun and it's it's. It, Greg Maddox did it really well, man. He got he made a lot of money and got a lot of guys out on that one because it appears as a ball. You get the buckle, and then for me, it was me to get back into the count. So say it's two and zero count. And I want to get back into the count to make it two one. I would flip that back to a slider up. The hitter sees a ball. He thinks it's out of the strike zone. It comes back for almost a gimme strike. So a little verbiage there. I hope the viewers are enjoying our chat about pitching speaks. <laughs> yeah, listeners, we're, we're, we're not, we don't make that, that big TV money here, Marshall. We're just got listeners, no oh, viewers. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, I, I, I'm, I'm sure they're digging it. You know, what, I, I don't know what would feel better, having never done either of them. Um, hitting, <laughs> hitting the ball out of the damn park and getting to trot around the bases at my leisure or having one of those moments where say you just freeze a real good hitter with a curve and you walk off knowing it's strike three before anybody's made a call and anybody's reacted to just that feeling for, for out number three. That's gotta be pretty good. Marshall. I would say, I would say equally fun as a pitcher. That that's the best one, especially at Wrigley Field back in the day when the fans are on their feet and I was pitching in the eighth inning and I could throw the, the big curveball that starts, you know, above the batter's head and it drops in for a strike. And only I know as it comes out of my hand, oh, that's going to that's gonna land as a strike. And just setting that pitch up and then pleasing the crowd and feeling the crowd energy, which we will get this year to some capacity, mm-hmm. 25% capacity, hopefully by the end of the year, 100% capacity at Wrigley having the fans and doing that for the fans and, you know, the hitters when they hit the home runs in front of our Chicago Cubs fans, the best base, best in baseball is just, it's a thrill to do that, uh, you know, as a big leaguer. 
I, I, want, I want to ask you about the fans, but first, tell me about the home run at age 23 in 2006. What, oh, what, goodness. Where's, I, 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 paint a picture for us on that one, if you would. Well, you got, you got some broken watches in your, your desk at home, I'm sure, Speak, and, and those watches, they tell the right time like twice a day. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh-huh. for me, that, that's pretty much the scenario with that. It was El Duque, who had a great career. He just he kind of wow. served me up a little 2-0 fastball, and I, I blacked out. I swung and hit the barrel, got in the jet stream, and, and landed in the stands. And it was ESPN. It was, it was fun. It was a, it's an interesting game to talk about for me because I was pitching really well that game. And I got a I got a hit to left field. I hit the home run. I get to third base, and a friend of mine who also grew up in Virginia uh, is a Mets legend, uh, David Wright. And so he comes up to me. He's like, "Marsh, man, you're not allowed to to deal and rake in the same game, which we pitch well <laughs> and hit in the same game." So I go out in the fifth, and the wheels came off. Oh. And the wind was whipping out that day. So I gave up a a grand slam that inning. Couple errors. Got out of the game. Roberto Novoa came in, another grand slam in the same inning. Oh. It was a disaster of an inning, and I was in the weight room doing my rotator cuff stuff, and I was watching the game on TV. I'm like, what happened? I mean, I was having a great game, and I was getting hit, and I was pitching well, and this, the wheels fell out. So that's it's humbling. Baseball can humble you in a second, and on that particular day on ESPN in the afternoon at Wrigley, I got some humble pie. <laughs> you know, I blame Wright. I blame David Wright, though, man. What's he it's, doing? He must have knew what he was doing. <laughs> yeah, he got in your head. That's, that ain't yeah, cool. Maybe. Yeah, you can't no. you can't deal in rake, and you had to decide. And apparently, you chose right. rake. You chose rake that day. I think so, but <laughs> it was it's fun. it was so much fun uh, playing at Wrigley, and I'm I'm excited to talk baseball on Marquee. And I'm so fortunate for the opportunity to do the broadcast today with Mick Gillespie. And I was on 670 Score a couple of days ago with Zach Zaidman being the color guy filling in for Coomer on a, on a short-term uh, relief role. So that was really fun, too. So I'm just so thankful for the opportunity to talk baseball and just kind of give some knowledge and some insight to some people that might not know all these things. Yeah, no, it, it, it's great. And you, you're getting better and better, Sean. It's, it's nice to watch you and nice to hear you. And I'm going to uh, enjoy the conversation. All right, l- last thing before I let you go. What, what, what will the return of fans mean to some of the players? Like what, you know, and it's so odd because you, you never experienced complete fanlessness like these guys did. But, you know, I, I'm just really looking forward to it. I know Javi's going to react to it. Because Javi has a give and take yes. with the crowd that you've always been able to see that that kind of energy share that he has always had. But but if you could tell us what do you think the the players do get from fans in attendance? I just think that big league players, just like Javi Baez, are performers. And when you are born and bred to be a performer for the the fans in front of you, not only just the TV fans that are watching at home, but doing it live in person, I think it's, it's huge. So getting fans back this year, I've, I've pitched in one game. It was in minor, minor leagues in AAA when there was a flood in Des Moines, and there was no fans allowed in the game. And it was just an eerie and very weird experience. And you just don't feel the same energy without the people cheering you on, whether, whether it's a, a visiting crowd heckling you or the home crowd rooting you on. You don't feel the same energy when it's empty. And I was at the ballpark for a few games last year, and it was just downright weird. And you can hear the dugouts talking. 
you can hear the guys bringing their own energy. But just to get the fans back in the stands for these players that a lot of them love to perform and do well in front of people live, it's going to be big for this year. Yeah, you know, I heard Pat Hughes talking about it and rightfully saying that everybody around the game, I heard John Rooney saying it yesterday on Inside the Clubhouse. It's just people are buzzing just waiting for it. It's like fanless baseball. That just, that just ain't it. That that is that is not it. So No, it's uh, just weird. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So here we go. Let's enjoy it. Well, Sean, this was a great pleasure, man. Thank you so much, and we'll do it again soon. And uh looking forward to watching you today on the broadcast on Marquee and certainly pre and post with Cole Wright. Enjoy yourself and thanks for the time. Yeah, thanks very much, Biggs. And keep up the good work covering our Cubs, man. It's awesome yeah. to listen to you. Uh, uh, man, I appreciate it very much. Thank you, Sean. That's Sean Marshall from Marquee Sports Network. Yeah, he's gotten better and better, folks. You know, it's a good find. A good find by them and the way that he can talk pitching and he can talk about being a reliever as he was late. He can talk about being a starter as he was early. Um, and the nuances of pitching at Wrigley uh, and everything. Really enjoyed that. Uh, phone lines are open for you at 312-644-6767. That's the number if you want to hop in and talk anything, uh, Cubs and Sox. You'll hear from Jake Arietta in the next segment and a little bit later on the, the newest of the Cuban connection for the White Sox. Keep it right here. It's hit and run on 670 The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Breaking White Sox news. The Sox make a huge move and sign Japanese superstar Shohei Otani. Nope. Oh, that is, is in the sound system at the score back from when the White Sox were going for it. Sit and run on 670 the score. They didn't get him. Angels got him. It's been a bumpy go for Shohei Otani. But to me, he's one of the, the biggest stories of spring training. I cannot wait to see this man, this player, this weapon fully unleashed this year by our old friend Joe Madden out there in Anaheim. He's been working on a strength and conditioning program over the last year that he ramped uh, forward in the offseason, a better diet. He's 6'4", 225, and what they're saying about him is that his entire body is stronger than he was in the past. The, the top half and the bottom half are more in line. They're feeling good about the possibility for him being healthy, and he's going to get a chance to do everything. He's going to get a chance to be that full two-way stud that we have really never seen in the game, frankly. I mean, Babe Ruth stopped pitching and then was a great hitter for the last 20 years and 15 years of his career. Otani is going to have some games, as he's done in this spring, where he is your starting pitcher and your leadoff hitter. <laughs> or your starting pitcher and your four hitter. He's going to have games where, where he's going to hit for himself, obviously when they play against National League teams with no universal DH. But in the American League, they've done the research and looked at the rules and see what it means. He'll be a pitcher and a hitter at the same time. 
And then when he's done being a pitcher, they'll deal with whatever fallout with the DH spot that they need to deal with because he's just, whew, he's been hammering the ball, hitting lots of home runs against righties and lefties. As a pitcher, he's been throwing a hundo with nasty breaking stuff. And they need a dominator. They've got Dylan Bundy in that rotation. They signed Alex Cobb. They've got a few other pieces, but they need somebody to dominate with real stuff. And that's going to be Shohei Otani to go along with Andrew Haney. Angels, man, that is going to be a sneaky pick out there in the West. Oakland has lost people. Houston has lost people. Wouldn't it be fun if we get a chance to see Mike Trout in the playoffs now along with Anthony Rendon and Shohei Otani? Justin Upton has had a pretty good spring. I mean, that's a lot of pieces. They got you go, we go with Dexter Fowler out there. But really, Rendon, Otani, and Trout? Come on. Win with that batch. Joe Madden, let's see it. 83 and a half is the win total on the Angels. Absolutely. Hammer that over. Hammer that. And and just, you know, as a baseball lover, to see Otani in the full bloom of his possibilities, unleashed without, um, you know, the, 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 the kid gloves, man, bring it. Give it to me. 670, the score is where you are. Let's go to the phone lines. Joe is on the far northwest side and is now on hit and run on 670, the score. What do you say, Joe? Good morning, man. Happy opening week, everybody. I'll tell you, enjoyed that uh, interview with Sean Marshall. I'll tell you, met him many times. And if I was manager of the Cubs, I'd be picking him as my pitching coach. But you know what, Matt? Uh, with the service time talk, especially the last few years surrounding Chris Bryant, you know, this is one time I disagree with Jed Hoyer's decision sending Nico down before the season. You know, the Cubs need to get a good jump to start the season. You know, you would think with the Cubs' offense the last few years, especially in postseason, you know, with their bats, which are more stale, in my opinion, than the three-day open bottle of Dad's Rip Beer, that you would use Nico Horner right away. You know, but obviously it comes down to business. It comes down, you know, to the service time. And regarding our battery, you know, the well, hold on. I, 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 don't, I don't agree that it's about service okay. time. He, he has options left, and a lot okay. of these other guys do not. Um, and, but, you know, they used him all last year. They brought him up in September of 2019. If, he was, if they felt like he was truly ready and, and could play every day, then he would. He's not going to play here every day, so they'd rather him get consistent work. So I, 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 just, I push against that narrative in this okay. particular case. But you know, Matt, I agree with you on that. But regarding service time, how many times have we heard it on and off, on and off, what are Cub fans like myself, you know, some of the other educated Cub fans are going to think. I mean, look at by trading Darvish and giving up Carantini as a backup for virtually for nothing. You know, Austin Romine's injury problems he's got, and we've got some uh, minimum wage backup catchers, and we have an uncertain starting rotation, especially with the newcomers of Zach Davies, and, and you don't know who's going to follow that. But I hope this year, though, David Ross doesn't play the game of musical chairs with certain players. You know, the Cubs need to concentrate, uh, Matt, on a resurgence of Chris Bryant. You know, by just leaving his defense, in my opinion, leave it at third base this year, period. You know, I like Sogard. His performances, in my opinion, they're better than his stats. You know, he's got a good glove. You know, he works the count. He fouls off pitches. And he does give opposing pitchers fits, you know. It's going to do a lot of good for the Cubs. And it's a good move on Jed's part there. And, you know, being a Cub fan regarding this Aloy Jimenez, 
whole deal. You know, he has this daring young man in the flying trapeze sort of defense, you know, and bordering or the borderline of showboating, which in my opinion, the key words are showboat because he just got a front row seat on the Titanic. But to be fair and professional regarding, you know, um, Theo's pick of David Ross's manager of the Cubs and Reinsdorf's personal pick of the spirit of 76 himself, Tony La Russa, you know, basically, I don't care who the manager is. What's the old saying? I said this on the score before, and I'll say it again. If you don't have the horses, you don't win the Kentucky Derby. But for 2021, Matt, we got 162 games this year. But for Cub fans and for Sox fans alike, you know, it's basically for us, it's news at 10 and movie at 11. But, Matt, I really enjoyed the show, Matt. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. Joe had material. Man. Joe is lining them up and knocking them down. And we'll be at Zany's on uh, Thursday. I think, is he doing the early show at Zany's on Thursday? I do believe. Uh, appreciate the call, Joe. A lot there to chew on. Um, I think I'll just swallow it whole, frankly. Ron is on the south side on 670 The Score. Ron, what's up, man? Welcome. Good morning. And baseball is life. There you go. Baseball's like been a long time. We've been yes, talking sir. it a long time. That's yeah, that's right, sure. and it gets it gets better and better. Uh, real real <laughs> quick. Oh, first of all, that Anaheim team is going to be a fun team to watch. Uh, I just don't know how much pitching they'll have, though, Matt. Um, that's 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 the thing when you when you look at Anaheim, just um, mm-hmm. the, the pitching, which most teams, and that gets me to my. Um, point. Um, Dylan sees most of the players on the on the Sox team. I have a general expectation of uh, you know what kind of numbers they you know will produce outside of um, you know Vaughn because but I, I still just do not have a, a feel on Dylan Cease. And the, and you know Matt, everybody is saying it's a possibility that the bullpen could really be good, one of the best, and uh, even with out him and there. The offense is going to be pretty good. But I really am looking at this starting pitching staff to be a, really a strength of the team. But we know what um, Rodon will do. We just hope that he's healthy. And the, the top three pretty much know what you can expect from them. I'm thinking that uh, Giolito could really be in for Sion. Uh, Contention, but that's my thing. That is Dylan Cease. He's the only one I just don't have any idea what to expect from him. And I think as he goes, it's going to make a big difference in the White Sox starting pitching. What's your What's your comments on that, Ron? Thank you, man, for the call. Appreciate it. Yeah, I, I understand. You know what you're going to get from Lance Lynn—a horse, just an absolute horse. You know what you're going to get from Keuchel. Giolito was dominant yesterday. Not 95 pitches over five and two-thirds. Looked great. Did Giolito throwing, um, obviously, that, that four-seamer as he does and the high change-up as he does because he's bold and he doesn't care like that. The bread and butter is what we saw mostly. He's been working on improving the slider, trusting it, developing his relationship with Yasmani Grandal, who did catch him yesterday. Um, Carlos Rodon been following closely his four seamer as more carry. He came in pissed off about being non-tendered working a lot with Ethan Katz and the velocity belts. And, uh, you know, I, I, Rodon's got a big thing to prove with Dylan sees it comes down to location. Can you find the strike zone? 
Last year, it led the American League in walks. This year in the spring, it has looked better. And there was a terrific training video or, or just a moment of teaching with Ethan Katz and Zach Collins catching Dylan Cease that the White Sox put out about a week and a half ago. And it's a, it was such a cool window into the kind of stuff that they're working on where Cease uh, made a small adjustment to his breaking pitch, but still was able to get it over the plate. And you heard Katz teaching and talking. And okay, so they've got some stuff figured out there. Sometimes you watch and you're like, all right, why did he lose the plates? Because maybe because he made an adjustment because he needed to get a little more bite and he needed to get a little more something and it was too much of an adjustment. Then all of a sudden he couldn't control it. So they're working very specifically uh, on those kinds of things. And if Dylan Cease can, can stay in the strike zone for the most part and get his breakers over for strikes, this has been true for him for a couple years then he can be really good. So we'll see, Ron. I understand the concern. That is for damn sure. All right, he mentioned the bullpen. Um, I want to talk about that. I've told you I got Jake Arrieta tape. We'll get it all in before we get out of here. Uh, but in the meantime, we'll take a break, come back. Eno Saris from The Athletic on some national things and stuff that really interests him around the league. We'll talk to him. I love talking baseball with him. We'll do that at the top of the hour on Hit and Run. When we come back, should I do should I do a White Sox bullpen in context around the league or Jake Arietta on what he's working on? Who knows? One of the two. Spin the wheel. Come back and find out. I'm hitting run on the score. And here comes the two-two. Swung on and missed. Strike three. Two away. Now Jake with a sinker. This is fastball. It's in the middle of the plate and it starts out about knee high and the bottom drops out of it. And Robert swings right over the top of it. One of the highest. Jay Carrietta with a strikeout on a swing the other day. Ron Coomer, Zach Zabin on the Cubs Radio Network right here on 670 The Score. Hey, do you guys know Thursday's opening day? Do you guys know that? Do you know how many games there are? Oh, there's a lot. A lot. In fact, there's 15. All 30 teams are in action on Thursday on opening day. Um... So, I mean, that's pretty great. The Blue Jays and the Yankees is at noon on opening day. Cubs will be hosting the Pirates right here on the score. That game at 120 on opening day. Towards the end of your night at 9.05 Central, the White Sox at the Angels. To cap off your opening day and evening, we will see the aforementioned Angels against the White Sox, two of the more exciting and interesting teams in what is really a pretty open American League after the Yankees. Yankees and then a lot of other people. Would have been the White Sox really at the second favorite now with the loss of Eloy. I think they've fallen back to the pack a little bit in concept. I've still got him to go to the World Series, by the way. I've made a bet on the Dodgers and the White Sox to be together facing each other in the World Series. That would be kind of nice. Most people are going to go Yankees and Dodgers, as has been floated out there and a possibility for several years now, rekindling uh, an old commonality of the Yankees and the Dodgers that goes back to New York and Brooklyn days. 
and certainly goes back to 77 and 78 for the L.A. Dodgers and the New York Yankees back-to-back years in the World Series. A lot of folks thinking that maybe this is the year for that. I still think the White Sox are going to get there. 312-644-6767 is the phone number. Let's learn about Jake Arrieta and what he has done to make himself different this time around with the Cubs by necessity. First, here's uh, Sahadev Sharma of The Athletic talking with Bernstein and Rahimi on why there is decent reason for optimism for Jake's 2021. I think what you said about the way the pitches look, there's a lot of movement. These pitches are moving differently. They're not moving like they were what we saw in Philadelphia. And, and, you know, maybe it sounded, you know, you could very easily say, oh, look at all this excuse making. He was hurt this year and that year in Philadelphia and, and mechanics got out of whack. Well, those are just excuses. Well, now, you know, you watch the pitches move. You watch the reaction of the hitter. And, and I think there was something to that. He's healthy. He's with a group of people that really know how to make him at his best. They've seen him at his best. It doesn't need to be the velocity that it was. He can. There's a way to pitch with, with his pitch mix and get out. So how is he doing it? He hopped on with Lawrence Holmes and was on for just a short time, but some real good stuff right at the top with uh, Jake Arrieta on what has been working for him so far in spring training. Well, I think first and foremost, it starts with the timing and um, my, my, you know, my line and my delivery, right? So I'm typically a cross-body guy, and I got away from that in 2018 because, you know, unfortunately I pitched all season with a torn meniscus, and it was pretty difficult for me to, to throw cross-body because of the torque on my knee. So you know, over the past six, seven weeks, we've been working on getting my line to the point where um, I'm not I'm not closed off completely, but I still have a little something to throw into into my front foot, and it's creating a little bit more deception for me, and it's create and it's making my pitches, uh, you know, move like they used to. So um, that was a, a, a pretty a pretty difficult progression at first, but now um, I've got it dialed in pretty good, and I'm feeling nice about it. How do you think that you've changed from the, the picture that Cubs fans saw the last time they saw you here versus who you are right now? Well, I've, honestly, I'm, I'm pretty much the same guy. I don't have the, the high-end velocity that I used to have, but uh, as far as the shape on my pitches, uh, you know, my ability to go out there, pitch deep in the games, uh, put the ball on the ground, uh, and give my team a chance to win every time I'm on the mound, that's, that's still who I am. Um, like I said, I'm not I'm not throwing 97, 98 miles an hour anymore. Um, you know, I still run it up to 93, 95 uh, occasionally. So, uh, which is which is more than enough uh, to get the job done. Still get uh, a significant amount of swing and miss. Um, but yeah, like I said, my secondary stuff um, is is still uh, is still at a pretty high level, and I'm still able to uh, use all four pitches. Uh, you know, whenever I need to uh, throughout the game and. Um, so that's a good sign, man. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. So Jake Carrietta embracing the opportunity, adjusting himself, adjusting what he does. And, uh, here we go. Game on game on. Indeed. Opening day, 15 games on Thursday. No in-person attendance in 2020, but all 15 ballparks on opening day will have at least limited attendance 
And as we've been following along and thinking about it, 20% of the available seats was the original thing on the White Sox and the Cubs. But now it's been bumped up. So more than 8,100 originally for the White Sox, more than 8,200 originally for the Cubs, but now been bumped up a little bit. And all of a sudden, maybe you found yourself on the MLB Ballpark app looking for tickets for certain games, looking for tickets for out-of-market games. Maybe you've been planning a trip. Maybe you've been trying to get Cubs tickets up in Milwaukee for that mid-April series, but you're not allowed because they don't want those dirty, festering Illinoisans going up there. But that's going to happen anyway. You know it's going to happen anyway. Looking forward to opening day. Looking forward to a final hour of hit and run here on the score. Anthony Heron's coming up at noon after me. Looking forward to talking to Anthony later on, saying hello. Um, and Anthony will get going at noon. But before that, uh, some predictions on the year. A few different numbers that Sean Anderson and I think are indicative of some storylines to watch all year. And a reminder of how you can place bets that the Parkins and Spiegel Show has put together over at the Bet Rivers app. So we'll talk about that next hour as well. And who are the best bullpens in MLB? Where do the White Sox rank among the best bullpens in MLB? All of that's coming next hour and hit and run right here on 670 The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.